All right, everyone. How are we doing today? My name is Nick Teague, and I welcome you back to the latest episode of What's Popping? And I hope you all are having a great day. Um, getting into the holiday season, if this is not out by this time, I'm actually recording this in in mid mid December. So it's it's getting that Christmassy time. We're right after that little Thanksgiving drop off, but. I'll just get right into what we're talking about today, and unfortunately today I don't have a guest, but I think that'll work for the best since uh, the the uh, form of media we're going to be talking about today, the movie, the documentary, was something I actually dissected on my own, and there's actually not another person that I know in person that's actually watched this documentary, but without further ado, today we're going to be talking about a man named Scott, which for those of you that do not know... That is a brand new Amazon Prime Video exclusive documentary about legendary musician and, in my opinion, one of the best modern musicians, best modern artist, um, Kid Cudi, who's uh, known also by his actual name, believe it or not, Scott Meskety, which is where the the title of the the documentary actually comes from, a man named Scott, because, of course, he's a man and he's named Scott. But also, there's a, a deeper meaning to that title, which I guess can just be the, the first point I get into. Um, this movie is just chock full of, of references to to Cuddy and the impact that he has. And of course, we can just start with the title. Like I said, a man named Scott, of course, refers to his name and stuff like that. But for those of you who don't know, his first mixtape that was released back in, who I want to say 2008, the title of that was called A Kid Named Cuddy which, of course, is a play on his artist name, Kid Cuddy. So a kid named Cuddy. So, of course, why would his documentary not be, of course, called A Man Named Scott? Because that parallels his his first mixtape, his his start to his career. And, of course, it parallels kind of that thing where he, he dissects his name, A Kid Named Cuddy, A Man Named Scott. And I really appreciated that when I first heard uh, heard about this coming out. And I just thought that that was a neat little detail because, of course, for fans that don't know, you just assume, oh, it's his life story. But for, for those of us fans who do know more of that that deeper connection, it kind of was a, a neat little Easter egg, which I feel like that's one thing this movie does, this documentary, actually. I shouldn't call it a movie. This documentary does perfectly. Um, there were neat, these neat little um, little Easter eggs to find throughout the whole thing, whether that be, I think there's a part actually in the movie where he's doing a concert, and they they very briefly mention a kid named Cuddy, because this this movie's more about, I would say its main focus is on his first album, which is uh, Man on the Moon, The End of Day. But there are, like, he's doing a concert back in 2013, and he says, let's go back to the mixtape days, and it kind of jumps back to 2009. And so there are, it, it, does, it is more of a, a mainstream, but that's, of course, the appeal. You don't want to create something that's just for hardcore fans, but I feel like that's what this does so beautifully is it creates this, this viewing experience to where even if you are not fully aware of a kid, uh, I almost said a kid named Cuddy, if you're not aware of Kid Cuddy and the importance that he has and the legacy he has, you can watch it and create a greater meaning, a greater understanding and see the deeper meaning, even if you just know him based on day and night, which I'm sure most people, especially people my age, you know, uh, early 20s, late teens, do know that song, especially it was <laughs> popular on TikTok for quite a while, but most people do know that song or Pursuit of Happiness or Mr. Rager or songs like that, but, and you get that, 
that understanding, but then you see these these neat little things, especially with they talk about Speed and Bullet to Heaven, which is an album that even hardcore Kid Cudi fans try to forget about. And there's just a lot of neat little aspects, like I said, and and that I really enjoyed that because of the song that plays is Down and Out, and it kind of the audio fades down and out, and you go back to seeing Cudi how he was before, and it was a nice transition and. I just really enjoy those neat little cutaways. And of course, uh, you can't talk about this without talking about the music. I, I just brought that up with the songs. But the song choice, I feel like every song that they brought up in this in for the soundtrack, it not only was nice to listen to because, of course, I like the music, but I felt like it really fit the scene. And I feel like if someone came up to me and said, hey, uh, we're going to make a Kid Cudi movie pick the soundtracks, pick 10 songs that you think best fit him. I feel like they pick those those songs. I might have included uh, The Prayer, but I feel like that wouldn't have fit the the section of A Kid Named Cuddy that they, they referenced. And so I feel like Down and Out was probably the best song to use for that um, little interlude, little intermission, talking about A Kid Named Cuddy and talking about how he started before he, you know, met Kanye and made man on the moon the end of day and there was just these neat little cinematic elements that tied into the music and that's one thing that I really like this doesn't feel like a a documentary about a musician it really feels like the emphasis is on the music and why the music's important and it perfectly blends that with with an audio with a visual format pardon me and it feels like he just the the director and I'm blanking on his name I will look that up I should have been prepared but the director, and he's an independent director, this is an independent film company that produced this, they really put a lot of effort into emphasizing not just the person and stuff and not just saying, oh, here's his songs. They really tied those songs into what was happening and why each song has the meaning it does and why each of his albums sounds so different, what was going on in his life. And when you're watching that visually and watching the stories and the interviews and you hear those songs and you kind of garner a deeper understanding of the music and you understand why why he was like this when he made the songs why is this song important right now and so that's one thing that I really like because sometimes you especially I, I wouldn't say so much mainstream and I really do like YouTube documentaries but sometimes you watch a documentary and it's just about the person or it's just about the album and this one or it's just about the music not about the person I feel like this one perfectly blends music and how this song was created, why this song is so catchy, why was he feeling this way when he made this song, but also the personal aspect of this is who he is as a person and that perfect blend of he's a person and a musician and that music always plays an important part of his life. And it was just, I I thoroughly enjoyed um, watching it and dissecting it, but not just... Uh, and it, it's not just uh, Cuddy's music. There's a couple uh, songs, I believe, um, Heartless plays by Kanye West, which um, for those of you that do not know, Kid Cuddy actually uh, helped write that song. He, From what I understand from the documentary, it was apparently a Kid Cuddy song before, and he gave the hook to Kanye, and Kanye made the beat, the, the, the iconic 808 beat that goes with it. In the night I hear... Well, I'm not going to sing... Because that's not my forte, but that little song, I'm I that one I think is probably most everyone knows that song, but um, that song plays and you kind of understand like I feel like the emotion that it brings out is it's like wow this guy 
is responsible for some of the most iconic music of of our generation and it just it it adds to that feeling and it adds to the the overall the story and seeing how he grows and how he present uh possesses how he grows and how he presents himself and and stuff like that and it's just it's it's truly an art form to watch and like i said for an independent film um company to make this it's really it's just it's mind-blowing and then um moving past music because of course this is a visual oriented uh, documentary um we get to see just elements of really great cinematography throughout the whole thing and just because it is a documentary does not mean there's not um, acting segments. And one of the key things I would really like to touch upon is um, the little, they're called acts, and they're placed throughout the entire documentary. And you see um, Jaden Smith uh, depicts Scott, because he is called Scott throughout the entire movie. They never call him Kid Cuddy, which I feel like that is, that's a nice little thing, because they're kind of, showing the human side of him. They're not like, oh, he's just this artist. His name's Cuddy. No, he has an actual name. He is a person behind the music. But uh, I digress. But you see you see Jaden Smith portray this, and you see Jaden Smith going about, and you see you see him acting out the, the good parts of Scott's life, or you see him acting out the, the tragic parts. And the scene that stuck with me the most is, this is towards the end, and it's a minor spoiler. I mean, I don't really know if you can spoil someone's life. I mean, it's his life story. You can easily google this and find out but he was close to uh committing suicide and you see him you know jaden smith depicting that him doing that and then i believe the song reborn by kid see ghost which is just kid cuddy and kanye west starts playing and you see this beautiful uh stream of water just come out of the ceiling and fall on scott in the bathtub or i say scott it's jaden smith but he's portrayed to be scott and you see it fall on jaden smith and you see like it zooms in on the skin and you see the droplets of water washing over the skin and you see Scott rise out of the bathtub, which I, I believe symbolizes kind of like a spiritual, like a baptism, like rising up from the water, a reborn person. But it also symbolizes because he was talking about, you know, killing himself, you know, and I think one of the things he said, he said of like, like shooting himself, hanging himself. But I believe right before in that scene, it shows him filling up the bath and you think, oh, he's going to go in there and, and drown himself, which I hate to say that because that's, that's not nice to even think about, but that's what you think. And then you see him rising up beautifully to where it shows, no, I have power over my emotions. I don't have to do this anymore. And especially with that song, which that song is powerful enough on its own, but you see that and you just see all these events um, just transpire and... Man, the the acting, I feel like, really hammers that home. The interviews help a lot. And, of course, there's a documentary, so that's the main part. But I really just, it just feels like so much more than just your conventional documentary. You have the music element that plays such a heavy part. And it's not just a soundtrack, but it's integral to the plot. And then you have the acting segments. Like, it's more of a biopic than a documentary. And it's just like something like The Dirt, which is the Motley Crue film, and it just, it blends it all so beautifully together. And I just, I know I'm kind of fanboying on the on the mic, but hey, that's what this podcast is about. This this is what we do over here. And man, it's just, I wish I had a guest here so we could fanboy out together. But of course, like I said, I think if I had a guest here, they'd probably think I was insane about how much I'm dissecting this hour-long movie that was on Amazon Prime about some 
some rapper, if you want to just categorize him as just that, that he's way more than that, but it's just, man, and I feel like that's kind of what I want to touch on when we're talking about, you know, cinematography and and stuff like that, which I'm not a cinematographer. I mean, dude, I'm an 18-year-old kid who's in college who studies freaking media for a living. I'm not an expert. I'm not Stanley Kubrick. I'm not freaking Steven Spielberg, trust me. So, I mean, and trust me, I may think these are awesome soup effects and all this, and then some film guy will be like, dude, this is basic stuff we can do in 10 minutes. But hey, to me, to the audience, it was really engaging and really nice to see. And at the end of the day, if you can get your audience members to enjoy it, that's what it's all about. It's not about, I don't want to say critics aren't important because if you make something bad and it's like, like everyone can see it's bad, then yeah, I mean, critics do, they, and critics do play a role because I do think that uh, we should be, you should be held to a standard. I don't think people should critique art because art is subjective, but I do think if you're going to like, there, there are some cases where like films are like very crappily just produced and put out. And I feel like critics can help with that because it gives you, it's kind of like a buffer. It's kind of like, hey, we shouldn't make crap because critics will rip it apart and audiences and typically, and see, it's not so much critics. I think it's more so audiences. I think audiences are the best critics because let's say you make a movie and critics hate it. Well, if critics hate it, but the audience doesn't, is it really a bad movie? No, because the main goal of that movie is to get garner an audience. And that's why cult classics are such a thing. And I really feel like this documentary has the power to be a cult classic, not because it's bad, not because critics hate it. I actually believe it's rated pretty high. But it's because it's Amazon streaming exclusive. It's kind of about a niche niche subject, you know. I mean, Kid Cudi's popular, but how many lay people do you know are just going to willingly get Amazon Prime to watch this? Or how many people are going to actively seek it out that aren't already Kid Cudi fans? Not a lot. And so I feel like that's the the main thing. I didn't really want to get off on a tangent about critics and and stuff like that, but that's how it goes. Like I was just saying, I am not a film critic by any stretch of the word. I'm just someone who likes film, and I feel like this is a it was a very very good film to just sit down and and watch and dissect. And like I said, it may be something that critics think are bad, but at the end of the day, if it's something I enjoyed and it's something that you people out there have watched and enjoyed, and at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what other people think. We like what we like, and we're motiva- motivated by different things to, to watch the stuff that we do, to listen to the stuff we do. And, hey, if you like the stuff, you like the stuff. But I'm going to end my rant over that and kind of get back on topic. Um, With a man named Scott, I'll just kind of... I, I touched on a lot of the stuff and, you know, was going over why I liked it and the major elements. But just I, I think I'm going to branch out a little bit and talk about Kid Cudi himself and, and his music and... I don't want to say the impact he had on me because a lot of times you hear people be like, Kid Cudi saved my life, which is a, a big element of that, but I'm not going to go that far. I mean, he, he, he his music does help you through a lot of difficult times, but I've never been a, a person that struggled with mental illness to the point of suicidal thoughts, which I, I, give, I, I give thanks for. I mean, I definitely do not want to struggle with that, and I'm grateful for that, and I feel for the people who've had to go through that. I've definitely had my struggles with with that stuff sometimes, but never to the point of, of that extreme. But like I said, I just want to kind of talk about Kid Cudi and who Kid Cudi is. So this is kind of going to be a, 
a documentary review and an overview of Kid Cudi because I may come back and talk about some of his albums. In fact, I know I will because that whole Man on the Moon trilogy is something special and albums that have really, really touched my life. And so um, for those of you that don't know, Kid Cudi is a um, Cleveland-born, I don't want to say New York... He's not Orient. I don't know where you say New York live. He he's Cleveland born, but his most of his music was made in New York. Uh, most of his early music, but he's a Cleveland born. I don't want to say rapper because, like I said, he's he's so much more than a conventional rapper. He kind of re he's a genre bender. He's kind of like Kanye and a lot of other like Mac Miller and a lot of people who who kind of bend the definition of hip-hop but i'll go ahead just for the sake of of having some word that sums him up he's a a rapper a cleveland-based rapper and artist who came onto the prominent came into the limelight um in the the mid to late 2000s i would say um if i had to give a hip-hop timeline it would be around like the 90s, of course, you have like NWA, Tupac, uh, Jay-Z, I said Jay-Z, I meant Biggie, and then you have, you know, like Jay-Z, and you have uh, Kanye comes in in the early 2000s, and then right after Kanye, I would say Cuddy is the next major face to appear in the the hip-hop scheme, at least in my opinion. I'm probably missing someone, you know, I'm not emperor of of hip-hop, I just like what I like, and I, I have a history uh, and a history of of hip-hop kind of sort of and so uh cuddy came on into prominence around the uh, mid to late 2000s um he of course released his mixtape in 2009 like i talked about earlier a kid named cuddy uh it was released to critical success it was a super popular mixtape um the shining um shining exam not examples the shining spots off the album in my opinion include um the prayer which is my favorite Kid Cudi song of all time. That's just a, it's a very, I don't want to say like depressing because it's more of an uplifting kind of like reborn. It's like, I know I've done stuff in my life. I know I'm not perfect, but if I die, I'm okay with it, which it sounds depressing when you say it like that, but it's just a really, it's a really beautiful song to sit down and listen to. And then Day of Night, Day and Night, of course. Um, I don't think most people know that Day and Night actually originated as a mixtape single it was not uh, originally on man on the moon the end of day which is where it if you pull up your spotify or apple music right now and you look up look up day and night kid cuddy it'll come up as day and night nightmare off of man on the moon the end of day but actually man on the moon i mean um day and night excuse me was released um in 2007 uh not 2007 oops uh 2008 it was released before a man named Scott. Day and Night was the first thing Kid, uh, Kid Cudi ever released, and then it was a single, and then it was put on his mixtape. So the first actual um, collection of music that Day and Night appeared on was actually his mixtape, uh, A Man Named Scott. And I, oh, oopsie, I referenced the documentary. See, you see how that name kind of kind of slips you up? I'm sorry, his mixtape, A Kid Named Cudi. And so uh, Day and Night actually appeared on there, and then I would say... My one of my personal favorite, um, two of my personal favorite songs off of that are uh, "Cleveland Is the Reason" and "Heaven at Night," which are the two closing tracks. They're very polar opposite from each other. Uh, "Cleveland Is the Reason" is more of a, um, 
hip hop sort of more of your traditional what you would expect from a hip hop song but it has a lot of those like it has a really nice uh hook which is more of a poppy hook which is actually what you would expect from uh modern day hip hop you know kind of sort of that kind of trappy I, it's called mumble rap i guess that's what i'll call it but he's not so much mumbling it just he goes from rapping about you know driving around cleveland and hanging out at night to to and then he sings about uh cleveland Cleveland is the reason I'm cold. I promise I will not sing any more the rest of the thing. But that's that's pretty much how that song goes. And then Heaven at Night is more of a... I feel like if you play those songs back to back, it kind of sounds like a two-part song because, like I said, Cleveland is the reason. The main thing is him saying, I'm driving around at night. And then when you say Heaven at Night, um, he's talking about letting go of his problems and how even though he has all this stuff, like I believe Cleveland is the reason does touch on drugs. Don't do drugs. And even Kid Cudi will tell you himself, do not do drugs. Um, it talk, talks about drug use, but then you go to heaven at night and um, he's saying, uh, I want what the world can't give me. So he's talking about more of, yeah, I have all this stuff at night, but I can't, do I have that stuff that's not worldly. Do I have God? Do I have heaven? Do I have satisfaction? And at the end, he's kind of, it kind of wraps up saying, yeah, I have all this, but I want what the world can't give me. I'm not going to sing it. I promise. But yeah, so those are two, some of the standouts from a kid named Cuddy. And we go over that a little bit in a man named Scott, not too much. It's mostly just day and night. And like I said, down and out is played a little bit. But moving on, um, Kid Cudi, uh, his mixtape was so popular that he um, grabbed the attention of Kanye West, who at the time was uh, at the top of the hip-hop world. He was coming off three straight um, Grammys for Best Rap Album for College Dropout, Late Registration, and Graduation. Yes, I know that off the top of my head. And um, he, was, it was, he was going in his time uh, right after his mother Donda tragically passed away. And this is when he was in Hawaii um, looking for a new sound to try to express himself. And of course, like I said, Kid Cudi has that sort of emotional side, which I don't know if Kanye was exactly suicidal. I would I would highly doubt it. But of course, like, like I said, Cudi's music just touches you in a specific way. And so he heard a kid named Cudi, and it kind of touched him in a way where he flew Kid Cudi out to Hawaii, and Kid Cudi became one of the top... Um, I don't want to say helpers, the top assistants to Kanye in the production of 808s and Heartbreak, which if you've ever heard that album, it's drastically different than anything Kanye's ever put out. I mean, uh, it's it's an album that um, I have on vinyl and I would even play it in my house and it's something that my mom would even enjoy listening to and I would not consider my mom a, a hip hop fan or even a, a Kanye fan. And so Cuddy just had that ability to make something different and you see that with, with 808s and Heartbreak. And then uh, Kanye did a kind of like, a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And Kanye helped him out with the production of his studio album, his first, uh, Cuddy's first studio album, uh, Man on the Moon, The End of Day, which this one I can talk more about how it goes. And then we can talk about how it's portrayed in A Man Named Scott. Because like I said earlier, A Man Named Scott really emphasizes uh, man on moon, the man, the uh, man on the moon, the end of day. That's a tongue twister. 
but it really emphasizes that because it's his first studio album and the the documentary touts it as the start of his career which I guess technically in a conventional sense it was since it's his first album but uh a kid named Cuddy I feel like it that's one complaint I have a little bit with the documentary is it kind of undersells the importance of a kid named Cuddy because Man on the Moon did like shoot his career super far up and it's a modern day masterpiece but without a kid named Cuddy Kanye never would have listened to Cuddy Cuddy never would have got that opportunity to work with Kanye and who knows if Man on the Moon the end of day would ever exist and I'm not saying oh that Cuddy owes everything to Kanye I'm not he gets that he gets that shtick way too much and they're both great artists on their own I don't think either of them owes any either of them anything I feel like and they're my two two favorite artists I mean I have a three-way tie between like if you're talking about hip-hop and not like bands because I I like Toto and Journey a lot but if you're talking about just solo artists, it would be Childish Gambino, Kid Cudi, and Kanye West. And so I feel like they all offer something unique. And so, but yeah, I, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just saying without a kid named Cudi, who knows if Man on the Moon would ever exist? And that's that's the only slight issue I have with the documentary. But of course, like I said, most people know Kid Cudi because of Man on the Moon, The End of Day. And so it is his his most popular and so, of course, they would say that's the start of his career because even if you have a kid named Cuddy, if Man on the Moon the End of Day sucked, there would be no Kid Cuddy either. So I feel like the importance of those are two. I just wish there was a little bit more on a kid named Cuddy throughout the mixed the mixtape, uh, a little bit more talk on his mixtape throughout the documentary. And that's only the that's really the only major complaint I have. But getting back on topic, talking about his first album, um, his first album was released in two thousand and ten. No, it was released in 2009, because it was a year after 808 and Heartbreak. 2010 was Man on the Moon 2, which we'll get into later. But 2009, uh, Man on the Moon, the end of day releases, and it's a critical success. I mean, I would argue that most people, and most people would agree with me, that's probably the best hip-hop album of 2009. I mean, he was kind of smart to, again, not trying to say that Kanye would outsell him, but he waited until he released... uh, in the gap year between 808 and Heartbreak and My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And so there's no Kanye to compete with. And like I said, in the mainstream, Kanye was the big boy. He was the the head. He was the leader of the, the hip-hop world. And so trying to compete with, with Kanye might not have been smart for this up-and-coming rapper, no matter how much support he had from Kanye himself. And so he drops uh, Man on the Moon. I'm just going to call it Man on the Moon from now on, I may call it Man on the Moon 1. That end of day is just too long. But Man on the Moon 1 drops, and and people start looking at Kid Cudi like a serious, you know, wow, this guy's really good. And and you have songs on there like, of course, Day and Night gets put on there. So if people haven't heard Day and Night yet, you get that on there, and you have Pursuit of Happiness, which is my favorite Kid Cudi song that's not on the mixtape. It's my favorite album Kid Cudi song is Pursuit of Happiness. And it's, I mean, you have others, like, there's so many that I'm trying to think. You have Soundtrack to My Life, which, that song's amazing. You have, oh man, there's so many off that album. There's Tay and Night, The Pursuit of Happiness, Soundtrack to My Life, In My Dreams, um, Alive, Cuddy Zone. Like, there's so many iconic tracks off of that album. I mean, every single one, I would argue, is iconic in its own right. I mean, there's some a little bit lackluster ones, like maybe 
simple as or higher but i even i find those songs enjoyable especially when i listen all the way through the album and i feel like that's and then a man named scott purely like it really shows the impact that this album has i mean i would say a quarter of the documentary is dedicated to the at this album and the impact it has but i would say that's justified because it really is i mean regardless of you think if it's his best album or not which I would go in between that one or a man, a man on the moon too, but I mean it. It has such an outstanding impact. It's definitely his most popular. It's his most um, iconic. It's his most influential album. I mean, it 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 definitely deserves the time it gets on a man named Scott. And I really enjoyed how how they don't just tell you why it's important. They they show like. They, they don't bring live interviews in, but they show people, you know, enjoying the music. They show Kid Cudi's early concerts. They have old, like, early 2000s interviews of people talking about why they love this album. They have other uh, other artists like um, ASAP Rocky come in and talk about how that album changed his life and how it traject, uh, put him on the trajectory to become an artist like that. And, I mean, it's just... The impact of a man on man on the moon cannot be understated. I mean, I think if you ask anyone that grew up in the 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 early two early to late two thousands, which I of course didn't. I was like six when that album came out, so I didn't listen to it when it came out. But I of course listened to it in my middle school and high school years, which I feel like is where most people listen to that for the first time. If you ask anyone that's kind of grown up in our time period, and you show them that that iconic cover of of Cuddy's face on one side and the moon on the other, they're going to know and they're going to resonate with that. I would argue most people would. I mean, it's just... And so I really, really enjoy the the effort that was put into emphasizing that from from Cuddy and, and all of that, or from the directors on Cuddy's life. And then, like I said, moving forward, we're just going to go through like each album, kind of like how the... How the um, how the documentary does it. And I just want to give y'all all a an insight on Kid Cudi. And like I said, it's more of a Kid Cudi retrospective and a documentary. And we're kind of going to blend the two, talk about Kid Cudi's albums, why they're important, and then talk about how the documentary portrays them. Kind of getting a nice two for one going through. So the next the uh, next album in, in Kid Cudi's discography is Man on the Moon 2, The Legend of Mr. Rager. And so this is the second part in the Man on the Moon trilogy. I can now fully call it a trilogy. We had to wait 10 years. Thank you, Scott, for Man on the Moon 3. But I can now officially say trilogy. It used to just be a duology between Man on the Moon and Man on the Moon 2, Legend of Mr. Rager. But I'll get into Man on the Moon 3 later. I will touch on it. The documentary doesn't. But I really want to touch on that album because it's really good. And plus the documentary leaves off while he's making Man on the Moon 3. And I just really want to talk about that album. So, Man on the Moon 2 is very different from Man on the Moon 1. I mean, they touch on almost the same subject matter. It has a lot of the same, you know, um, feelings of, of, you know, kind of like, I don't want to say depression, because it's not, it's not depressed. Like, if you listen to Man on the Moon or Man on the Moon 2, you're not going to walk away depressed. But it does have that feeling of, I want to just call it reality, like sometimes the world sucks, sometimes we suck. And so, but Man on the Moon 2 really emphasizes, like Man on the Moon 1 was kind of cutty, like, in spite of all my flaws, I 
still enjoy life and I love life. And Man on the Moon 2 is more like, oh, wow, what's the path I'm going down in my life? Man on the And I feel like you can look at each of Man on the Moon 1, 2, and 3 as kind of a brief story of Scott's life. You have this little kid that's kind of struggling with issues, but then at the end, with Up, Up, and Away, uh, so whatever, I'm happy, but then you start with Man on the Moon 2, and he's like on top of the world at the end of Up, Up, and Away, I'm flying away, and you start with Man on the Moon 2, and immediately you have more of the the talk about drugs, and again, don't do drugs. Even Man on the Moon 2 is an album heavily about drug use, but every time it brings up drug use, it always talks about, this is ruining my life. Am I really happy right now? And so Man on the Moon 2 is definitely a darker album, and it really hits on that 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 idea of, well, I have fame, and I have this, but is it making me happy? I can go and get high, but does it, make it, is it just make me happy? No. And so that's what Man on the Moon 2 really is. So I would argue, I would say it's Kid Cudi's darkest album. He really talks about the, the whole ideas of suicide and I'm... The only time I can be feel like I'm even happy is when I'm high, but I know that's not what makes me happy. And so you get Man on the Moon 2, and it's such a stark contrast, and that's why it is so hard for me to compare Man on the Moon 1 and Man on the Moon 2, because they talk about the same subject matter, but they do it in such different ways, where Man on the Moon 1 has such this, this hopefulness, where, yeah, I'm struggling with this stuff, but I can get over it, but Man on the, two, Man on the Moon 2 is really like, man, have I gone too deep? Can I get my way out of this? But we have that triumphant end on Man on the Moon with the ending track, Trapped in My Mind, where he's like, I'm trapped in my mind. Maybe I'm not that bad at all. And he's kind of come to the realization that um, I've done some bad stuff. I'm in my head. I'm listening to the stuff in my head. I'm looking for stuff in the wrong place. But I'm not that bad of a person, and I have the ability to change. And that's where I believe Man on the Moon 3 picks up, which, I'll again, I'll get into later, but it's kind of a cliffhanger. It's... I really wish Scott would have just released them right, all three next to each other, because they all tie in, but then I have to go through like six more albums before I can talk to it, but it's fine. I'll reiterate the points, but Man on the Moon 2, man, I feel like 1 and 2 are both 10s, and I would say my favorite is Man on the Moon 1, but I feel like if you came up to me after this podcast is out, and you're like, hey, Nick, what's your favorite Kid Cudi album? I may say Man on the Moon 2. It just really depends on how I'm feeling and songs like, and it, it's not all depressing, like songs like Erase Me, man, like that one is is a modern day rock ballad, like the drums, the boom, 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 and like the singing, there's like no rapping on there. If you take off the Kanye verse, it's just Cuddy singing and just, and like there's a bunch of funny lines in that and it's just, it feels like it could have come out in the 90s, like with that rock where it's like, this girl broke my heart. She wants to erase me. Dang it, I sang again. But you know what? You're getting a little bit of, of Nick Teague the musical up in here, so I hope y'all enjoy that. But Erase Me is such a good song. Maybe my favorite off the album. I don't... No, it, it's it's up there, but it's it's not. Uh, don't Play This Song is such a beautiful, twisted song where he's talking about anytime... Uh, the the literal lyrics of the song is if you want to sound if you want to hear hear what it's like when I'm not on drugs just don't play this song, which is him basically saying I'm high throughout the whole song which I highly doubt he is but it ties into the theme of the song where he's of the album where he's like 
dude, I'm high like 90% of the time and I'm just not happy because he's like, don't play this song. I'm ashamed of what I'm doing. That's kind of like the thing because he's, I think it's even like uh, talking about his mom throughout, like being embarrassed if his mom listened to his music knowing that he, if, if he's actually on drugs or thinking if he's on drugs and saying, and it also talks about suicide, talking about the only way he can stop from thinking about suicide is if he does drugs, which is just, it's a dark, twisted album, but Man, the ending gets so beautiful when you have ghosts like, I don't need to do drugs anymore and trapped in my mind like, hey, now it's time to stop. And I really feel like he did start both from a from a musical standpoint and from a personal standpoint. Like at the end of Man on the Moon 2, you really see him turn the page. And uh, actually, this is supported by a man named Scott. I'm going to get into that that comparison with the documentary it uh, they all talk about Man on the Moon too, and Scott actually refuses to talk about Man on the Moon too because he claims that was the worst mental space he was ever in. Again, I don't really want to talk about about drugs. Uh, drugs are not good, and it even says that in there. But he was doing. He said the only way he could get out of bed was if he would get up and do a bunch of cocaine and then walk out of his house. And he's almost in tears talking about that. So of course, see, he he does not advocate drug use. I don't advocate drug use, but that's just the, the stark reality of his life. And it's just depressing to hear that the only way he thought he could find happiness is, hey, let's go do a couple lines. And that's just, it's not, it's not a fun reality to have to go through that. And um, so with, with Man on the Moon 2, and then you have the other people that are like, man, it was so much darker, but I liked it. And you hear that consensus where everyone's like, I like it, but man, you can just tell how dark it was and you hear, um, oh, I forget, uh, Plain Pack chimes in and says he doesn't want to talk about it either and a lot of people who are close to Cuddy just get overly emotional when that album's brought up. So you can see like the headspace he was in, but then you hear, um, a, uh, I, it's, it's not an album I want to touch on because it's more of a collaborative and it's only brought up for like just this one scene. Uh, you hear the song uh, Teleport to Me, Jamie, off of the album WZRD, I like to call it wizard. I mean, it's literally just wizard, but it's, I think the proper word is WZRD, um, which is his rock album with Dot, Dot the Genius. And uh, you see him smiling, and he says when he was making WZRD, he kind of turned that page. He wasn't doing drugs anymore. He laughs about getting a perm in his hair. And that kind of, and then this is the album I really want to talk about because this is where you can start to see the difference. And he talks about how that that overjoyed nature coming out of coming into WZRD, where uh, he kind of turns the page and he's kind of making the music he wants to, and he kind of found happiness again. It carries us right into Indicud, which is his next album. And I I actually I I give I I joke about taking ten years to get Man on the Moon three, but I really think the reason we didn't straight out get Man on the Moon three is he really was in a better headspace and didn't want to go back to that subject matter he just left off on Man on the Moon 2. And so you get Man on the Moon 2, and you get that ending, and then you get WZRD, which is kind of a branch out. It's, I just watched Loki. It's a branch in the timeline. But you get that uh, WZRD, which kind of branches out. But the next main album is Indicud. And Indicud, in my opinion, is the most upbeat... I don't want to say happy because I would say kids see ghost is probably one of the happiest, but it's the most joyful. Like there's not really a song on Indica that's super depressing. Like you have these, these nice, um, 
clicky drums and you have these nice just hooks that are upbeat and happy and you have like that man that feeling on man on the moon where yeah i've done some stupid stuff but i'll get through it that hopefulness but it's like that hopefulness taken up an octave like you have songs like just what i am where it's like yeah i've done some stupid stuff but god made me just the way i am i'm not gonna sing that hook if i sing again i think i think um my podcast might get canceled but um, you get songs like that, and you get songs like my favorite song off that album is Immortal. Oh no, I may sing it again, but uh, that hook, man, it's just so catchy, and it's like, he's like, I have powers, and I have those, he's talking about joy and happiness, but he's referring to them as superpowers, because it's just so elusive for him to have it, and he's talking about not having that on drugs, and he's like, tonight, I don't need my drugs, and tonight when I'm off them, I feel immortal, tonight i feel immortal i'm gonna sing i'm just i can't every time i bring that song up i have to sing but again i digress we're just gonna hear a lot of singing in this podcast but immortal is so good and you see that with indicut and i really enjoy indicut as an album i don't enjoy it as much as man on the moon one and two and that's not just because i'm some depressed emo teenager i mean i think there are musically some better sections on those first two but man indicut is like I would argue Indicut is probably my fourth, like after the Man on the Moon trilogy, I think Indicut's my favorite. Like Indicut is such a good listen. It's so feel good too. And it's so drastically different from anything Kid Cudi's put out that it's hard to rank it because it's just so happy. And that's, that's the, I would say that's the climax of the movie is Indicut because you get there and you see Scott super happy. Like he's at concerts, he's jamming out and he's talking about how He's happy again. He's off the drugs. He went to rehab because he, oh, I forgot to mention that. That's probably important. After Man on the Moon 2, he did check into rehab for the first time for his cocaine use. Um, and so when he got out and was doing WZRD, the reason he did WZRD is Dot the Genius is his cousin. And he, I guess he wanted to be in like a safe space so he wouldn't relapse. And so then Indicud came out. And then right as Indicud comes out, you get this really beautiful transitionary scene. Actually, there's an album in between that, sorry. I actually really, really love this album, so I do want to touch on it. Uh, Satellite Flight. Uh, Satellite Flight is really good, but in the overall scheme of things, it came out so it came out in the weird period where he's happy and then goes down to one of his worst mental states ever. But like Satellite Flight isn't inherently super happy like Indicut or super depressing like Man on the Moon 2. It's like, it's just, if you if you put, you know, with these new AI machines where like you type in stuff and it gives you a picture, I feel like if you could like AI make an album and you typed in Make Me a Kid Cudi album, it would spit out Satellite Flight. It's the most generic, sounds bad because I really do love this album. It's the most generic Kid Cudi album. It's not inherently sad. It's not inherently happy. And it's not inherently, it doesn't really... As much as I love it, I feel like if Satellite Flight didn't exist, it wouldn't hurt Kid Cudi's catalog. And so, and the, the documentary just touches on, it uses the song Troubled Boy to lead into it, but it doesn't, it, it just uses it to go into his decline. So you have that transitionary scene with Troubled Boy, which is the ending track of Satellite Flight. So I feel like it is really fitting. And that leads into Speeding Bullet to Heaven which is where Speeding Bullet to Heaven really isn't all that depressing. It's just so out there and weird, and it just feels incomplete at times. But this is when it 
and it talks about this in a man named Scott. This is where his brain is literally like he's not depressed or addicted to drugs like he is on uh, Man on the Moon too. He's literally his mind is breaking. He's having a mental breakdown, and he's he's trying to find something. And this is when he gets back into drugs. I don't I don't believe he goes right back to cocaine. I think he just starts using like I don't even think he's abusing drugs. I think he's abusing marijuana and alcohol together, which that's pretty much just as bad as using cocaine. And so he's just abusing a bunch of substances and he just doesn't know where to turn. And so you get in his mind is like, he's not depressed. He just literally does not know where to turn. And so you get this weird amalgamation of rock and grunge and weird Beavis and butthead interlude skits in speeding bullet to heaven. It's my personal least favorite Kid Cudi album. I can appreciate the merit behind it, but, and I like weird music, but like this is weird to the nines. Like it is hard to listen to. And arguably, I would say this is the worst mental space he was in. He wasn't really as suicidal as he was on Man on the Moon 2 at this time, but just the fact of how unhinged he was is what's so terrifying. And like when you listen to Sweet Bullet to Heaven, I feel like after learning this too, it's just even harder to listen to because it's like you're literally listening to a man lose his mind. And so that's Speed and Bullet to Heaven. And then um, right after Speed and Bullet to Heaven, you kind of get this happiness again and you kind of get, he goes back to, he doesn't go back to rehab. He goes to a mental hospital, which I hate that anyone has to go there. But I'm also glad that he was, he's brave enough to admit that he needs help. And so when he comes back, he makes Passion, Pain, and Demon Slaying. And that title just perfectly fits what he was going through at the time. He's slaying his inner demons of depression, addiction, stuff like the, stuff like that. And then you have Passion and Pain because you have the love that he has for his music, the pain that he's went through his whole life. And Passion, Pain, and Demon Slaying, I feel like, was the closest we got to Man on the Moon 3 before Man on the Moon 3 uh, eventually came out and I feel like that's the consensus among Kid Cudi fans and Passion Pain and De- uh, I'm just going to call it Passion and Pain. Passion Pain was two of the was one of the one of my favorite albums. I mean, I've probably said that a bunch. I love all of Cudi's albums pretty much. And so Passion Pain and Demon Slaying was just it just felt like it felt like Man on the Moon 1 and 2 perfectly without any of the depressive elements. It was like, I feel like the song Surfing perfectly embodies it. He's talking about he's riding on a wave and nothing's going to bring him down and stuff like that. I feel like it's Cuddy at his at his happiest. See, like, Indicud was his most upbeat, but... I feel, and it's happy, but you listen to Passion Pain and it's super chill... But, like, there's not really a sad moment throughout the album. Like, it's really kind of his rebound. And so you see that, and you see that exemplified in um, uh, A Man Named Scott. It kind of runs through Passion Pain and Kids See Ghosts together because they did kind of happen. They were only about a year, a year they were a year apart. So I assume that recording was taking place um, simultaneously. And you kind of see his rebound after rehab where he's like, man, I'm past all that stuff. I don't want to make depressing music anymore. I don't really want to talk about depression. I just want to make music that I want to make, chill music that people want to listen to. And so you get uh, Passion, Pain, and Demon Slaying, and you have songs like By Design with Andre 3000, which I love. You have songs like um, 
Passion Pain, uh, uh, By Design, you have Surfing, you have a bunch of these songs, and they're just so good, and then you get songs like, um, uh, stuff like that on, on Passion, Pain, and Demon Slaying, and just seeing him rebound from another demon, and seeing how that's exemplified in, and this is where that scene takes place that I talked about earlier, where you see him rising out of the bathtub, out of those demons, out of that, those suicidal tendencies, out of that, that just decay. And then this is where we get into Kids See Ghosts, which Kids See Ghosts is so hard for me to rank because it's a collaboration between two of my favorite artists. And it's like, the only complaint I have with Kids See Ghosts is it's too short. And when the only complaint you have about an album is it's too short, you know you made something good. And so with with that, it's just you have Kids See Ghosts and you see um, the happiness that Scott feels and the happiness he feels being back with, with Kanye, who kind of, we come full circle, he kind of helped him get in and he, he helped him kind of restart his career when he was in a down point with Kids See Ghosts and with Passion Pain. And you just, it just ends the story beautifully because that's where the movie ends uh, because I it, filming, I believe filming was taking place as uh, Man on the Moon 3 was coming out, which Man on the Moon 3 came out December 2020. So it's it's not even that. It's a it's barely a year old. And this documentary, I believe they said recording took place before COVID. And so if you may if it's bef- if it's pre-COVID, then um it's it's definitely before December 2020. Like that's just the reality that uh we live in. It's 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 before it's bef- before 2020. So yeah, and then I don't even want to talk about COVID. I hate that I even had to bring that up. But that's that's where it ends, and it it has a beautiful ending. And I feel like I feel like Man on the Moon three wouldn't have dampered the feeling any. But I feel like even if Man on the Moon three had have come out during filming, you just end it with Kids See Ghosts, and you end it with Reborn, and you talk about this artist who had several falls from grace, not because you know he had a massive scandal, but just because he did. Um, just because he did a bunch of other stuff and like his his he was fighting his mental demons and it's just uh the documentary just ends beautifully with that with that reborn playing and you see Cuddy finally address everything and like I said Man on the Moon 3 comes out December 2020 and I definitely want to talk about Man on the Moon 3 it just kind of takes what was already established on Passion Pain and um Kids See Ghosts and it takes it up a notch. And what I feel like, why I feel like Man on the Moon 3 summarizes it better than those two, it, it doesn't in the sense of the documentary, but it does in the terms of his discography because we finally get that that ending to the Man on the Moon trilogy because for 10 years, the only ending we had was, oh, I, I can change. I'm trapped in my mind. I can change and I have the ability, but do I want to? And when we start Man on the Moon 3, you get this whole album where it's uplifting. You have a little bit where it touches on the depressing episodes of Man on the Moon 2, but for the most part, it's a super upbeat album, and the album ends with uh, Lord I Know, and it's like, I I can't remember the exact lyrics, but it's kind of like, Lord, I know I can do better. Lord, I know I've done better, and it's just a beautiful ending to both the... it's, It's a beautiful continuation of what was started on Passion, Pain, and Demon Slaying, and Kids See Ghost. But also, if you look at Kid Cudi's discography in terms of the Man on the Moon trilogy, 
It perfectly ends that Man on the Moon trilogy to where he doesn't have to go back to that point in his life. He doesn't have to go back to that depressing episode that's found on Man on the Moon 2. But then you can also, and it gives him a chance to move forward, but it also just perfectly it distinctifies itself as an album. It adds on to the albums that came before it, and it adds on to the two albums that come before it in the trilogy. So it perfectly ties together all elements of Kid Cudi, both the Cuddy that came after Man on the Moon 2, but you could literally, you, that you could take Man on the Moon 3 and listen to it right after Man on the Moon 2 and you wouldn't feel like you're missing anything. So it's just, it's a beautiful album to end things off with. And so I can, take, speaking about ending things off, I mean, I don't know how much more I can talk about. I mean, you just, you take this beautiful artist discography and you take that discography and you put it with perfect union with the story in a documentary to where the documentary perfectly mirrors the story that the albums are trying to tell. A Man Named Scott is literally the story of Kid Cudi's albums without having to listen to a single song. And with that, I mean, I don't know how much more I can talk about. I feel like I've gone on for way too long about one guy. And so I thank you all for listening. I hope uh, if you haven't seen A Man Named Scott, you definitely check it out. Um, I thank you all for listening. I, I hope you enjoyed my, my ramblings about Kid Cudi. And I hope that if you never listened to him, go give him a try. And I, I'm out of stuff to say. I never thought that would happen, but I really enjoy you all for listening to the, to the end. Of course, uh, this is what's popping. I'm your host, Nick Teague. And, um, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you all continue to tune in next week. I promise there won't be any more Kid Cudi, and I promise there won't be any more sports for just a little bit. I can't guarantee you how long, but I guarantee you that there will not be any more, and there will definitely not be any more Nick Teague singing unless it's requested, and then I'm not even sure if I want to do it. But I thank you all for tuning in today. I really do. It really means a lot. I thank you all for y'all's continued support, and I just hope you all have a blessed day, and... Go listen to some Kid Cudi. Have a blessed one, y'all.